This paid commercial may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you cybersecurity and government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and securing cyberspace. With me on today's show are Wanda Jones-Heath, Chief Information Security Officer, U.S. Air Force, Gary Stevens, Deputy Chief Information Officer, Executive Director for Information Security Policy and Strategy, Acting Department of Veterans Affairs. Shane Barney, Acting Chief Information Security Officer, USCIS Department of Homeland Security. Pete Goldman, Enterprise Risk Manager, Cyber Department of State. James Harrison, Director, Civilian Agencies and Systems Integration, Fortinet, Federal. Tristan Yancey, Vice President of Federal Flexera, and Jose Payton, Chief Technology Officer, Citrix Public Sector. Well, this is certainly a, uh, a broad subject, and we have a great representation across this community. Um, uh, we've had the executive order issued, which has, uh, ha- is holding the, uh, the agency head accountable. Uh, we certainly have uh, a su- this subject that is very much in the news in regards to uh, everything from election security to um, uh, cyber um, uh, uh, breaches, etc. And we have Suzanne Kent, who has recently stated in numerous occasions in numerous forums about how when we modernize our environments, we're actually starting to secure them. But as we march to the cloud, as we all know, uh, our environments get a lot more complex, right? We have these hybrid configurations where we're starting to strengthen our security. At the same time, we're starting to make our uh, environments much more complex with IoT and, again, hybrid, et cetera. Uh, so we're going to talk about all those subjects today. And let's start with you, Wanda. Tell us about uh, where, what's the state of the state of the Air Force today in regards to cybersecurity? Well, the state of the Air Force is um, constantly changing. Um, as we become part of the discussion, um, I'm excited that we are invited to the table um, quite a bit. Um, we are consulted quite a bit across the Air Force, especially with our functional communities. Some of the things that we're working on and trying to do things differently is, one thing is to hack the Air Force. We did that last year and it, w- it revealed quite a bit of concerns and things that we need to take a look at. So now this year we're focusing on closing a lot of those gaps, doing things differently. We're also looking at how do we secure doing applications. You mentioned that um, during the IT modernization, we're looking at how do we do it on the front end. So we're working with our acquisition communities and looking across other areas that we can start making good risk-based decisions. So those are some of the things we're looking at. Um, The Secretary of the Air Force on up through the DOD is very excited and having us on the team makes a difference. Um, We're doing the DOD cybersecurity scorecard, which elevated our uh, position in the DOD and Air Force. It allowed us to see some of the things that we need to work on, highlighted some challenges, and so one of the things I'm focusing on is just continuing to push and have that risk discussion 
based on our mission sets. Yeah, it really is. CISOs now have a seat at the table, right, as we're discovering the, the sort of discussing the risk posture. Shane, how about at uh, CIS? How are you guys doing over there in regards to your uh, the cyber program and your uh, your march to the cloud and your hybrid environment, et cetera? Well, USCIS has always been at the tip of the spear uh, in terms of technologies and pushing that envelope. We have we are one of the very first earlier adopters in the federal government for cloud and drove very hard to get there. Uh, we are now roughly 70, 75% of our systems are cloud-based. Um, and we're quickly realizing the remaining 25% uh, as, as fast as we can go. The hybrid model that you speak of is, is a very difficult model to maintain. You, it's better if you're one direction or the other. So we prefer the cloud. Um, there's been those challenges that comes with that. Uh, though, I, though we've seen those challenges more as an opportunity to expand our, our understanding of how to operate a security shop. Um, part of our success has been really in realizing a true DevSecOps model, where not only is our, not only have we gone the DevOps route, where our development teams and our operations teams and the business units are all together in, uh, in terms of, of pushing forward on, their, on the requirements for systems, but we've also really incorporated the security shop. We are, when you talk about having a seat at the table, I mean, we, we are often driving some of that. Um, they, they wouldn't, you know, we were considered part of that operations at this point, we're so integrated. We've also realized a lot of success with our ICAM uh, aspects, you know, for security shop, identity is everything. Knowing who's supposed to be on your network and what they're supposed to be able to do is critical to a security organization. Um, and so because of that, we've really placed a lot of emphasis on understanding uh, or really building up the workflows associated with how people gain access into our systems, how long they're, how, what they're allowed to do once they're there, and who authorized it to, for them to be there. Um, most of our roughly, oh, what is it? I, I would start, dare venture to guess 60, 65% of our systems are now automated through workflows, auto, uh, electronic workflows, which gives us a lot of visibility into those systems and in terms of who is capable, who's supposed to be there in operation. I would imagine just a rollout of phase one, phase two of the CDM, you know, what's on your network, who's on your network has really been. Uh, it's been critical. Uh, CDM has been, yeah. we've been married that up with, with a lot of our efforts, and, then, and actually we've realized a lot, lot of success because of it. Sure. Uh, James, how about at Fortinet? I would imagine as we get into these hybrid environments and they get more complex, uh, you know, uh, companies like Fortinet really kind of step in to help sort of, uh, you know, really harden and secure those environments and help these agencies to protect their assets. You're right, agreed. Um, we are definitely making progress on the initiatives that are happening in the federal space. Uh, and even there's a lot of parallels on our industry side as well. So you mentioned continuous diagnostics and mitigation. Right. We are impacted internally as an industry player by CDM-like uh, capabilities. Um, you know, every Monday or Tuesday, uh, I feel my laptop slow down a little bit in the evening, and I know that scan has taken place, mm -hmm. and we feel that. And depending on how I was as a cyber citizen that week, I may get patched and may get a message telling me to, to reboot. So definitely a lot of uh, things going around in the, in the CDM space. I think also, you know, Fortinet-like government is moving applications to the cloud. Um, I think with that comes additional security needs. Um, so both, you know, if you choose a public cloud provider, you know, considering maybe adding some third-party security to that uh, cloud environment, and um, also the authentication component is, is big as well, right? So you, we're getting persona-based um, identity capabilities now. So if I happen to be uh, at, at an airport on my mobile device on a public Wi-Fi spot, um, I may get treated differently than if I was in the office, right? So um, the ability to kind of control access to some of those things. Sure, sure. And, and then finally, I just might mention that uh, both in the hardware and software platform, I think the evaluation of some of those uh, uh, particular assets is important now. We're, uh, 
entities like Fortinet and even the government are looking inside the actual devices, looking at the supply chain of those components and making a decision based on some of those components internally. You know, are, do some of them have more vulnerabilities than other, and would that move your decision to, to select a different product, basically? Sure, really so. getting to the left of that, uh, that process. Uh, Gary, how about at Veterans Affairs? You've got a lot of moving parts going on over there. Uh, give us a state of uh, how, how are you doing in your security well, program I'd over there. I'd say the state of the state is strong. Uh, I would say that, uh, and that's uh, predominantly oriented towards the fact that we have got a leadership that, that is engaged at every level, that is intimately involved in how we're developing plans and programs to address our cybersecurity and holistic IT-related re requirements massive IT modernization effort underway to look at how the tools and services are being delivered and provided to, to, the, to the client and to the customer, uh, VHA, VBA, NCA, to ensure that they are able to deliver what they need to, to, to meet the veteran's requirements, which is ultimately our predominant re uh, focus. And then that's married up with the fact that uh, you mentioned a little bit of 13800. Uh, we've been involved in a transformation that occurred about three years ago with a, where we all sat around the room. being the executive order. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, where we all kind of sat around the room and basically figured out what we needed to do both tactically and strategically to address our cybersecurity related requirements with a predominant focus on addressing the material weakness findings, but also figuring out what do we need to do to address cyber cybersecurity related requirements both now and in the future. We developed a comprehensive plan. That plan has um, uh, was uh, uh, has evolved uh, from from where it was uh, from a reactive program to now a proactive one, mm -hmm. directly aligned with CSF and RMF. So we're aligned with that common rubric that everybody else is uh, attuned to, and we're using that as a as a means to facilitate how we address cybersecurity related requirements, how we assign ownership and accountability, and how we manage our programs across yeah, the board. You have this perfect constellation of an executive order that's held the agency head accountable. You know, obviously you've got front and center these uh, cyber breaches and you know, election security issues that you know, very much keep this visible. And then, of course, you have these modernization activities that are allowing the CISO and the CIO to sit at the table and modernize their way into a different environment. Tristan, uh, how about at Flexera? It seems like uh, this is a, a, a capability that the agencies very much would lean on this type of capability as they go on this cybersecurity journey. Absolutely. While CDM, um, the early phases were great for helping agencies get their arms around what they have on their network, it's not a one-shot deal. It's a continuous operation, especially with shadow IT in the background. So what Flexera does is help provide that visibility to IT baseline to actually understand what you have on your network so that you can then protect it. We marry that with end-of-life dates so that security officials can produce reports that say in the next 30 days, six months, 12 months, what's gonna end of life so that they can be proactive and remediate, upgrade, or patch those assets in order to prevent cyber attacks. Yeah, you have this complex environment and you've mm -hmm. gotta have sophisticated instrumentation to make good choices and decisions uh, from a budgetary standpoint, from a patching implementation standpoint, et cetera. Pete, how about over at State Department? You've got a worldwide complex environment right. over there. Uh, how are things going in regards to the State Department's state of the state in the security program? 
Um, I won't. I won't attempt to speak for the secretary, but within the security space, um, we're we're doing pretty well. Uh, I think that uh, security, as I think was mentioned early on, is an ongoing challenge that we all face. It's changing on a regular basis. So, really, you have to be agile and, and adaptive in order to keep up with it. And I think. Um, that's reflective in the State Department in the recognition of the need to really address risk management from a core perspective. Um, the Executive Order 13800 brought that into focus very clearly that the intent here was to make sense of what we're doing with security in regards to mission effectiveness. And to do so, we have to really come in, into an understanding of why this all matters. What is it we're trying to achieve and, and where is the right balancing, uh, balancing point in order to, to accomplish this? To that end, um, in 2016, almost six months in advance of the executive order, uh, the State Department created a position um, to focus specifically on the impacts of cybersecurity from a risk perspective, focusing more in what it means to the lines of business and the organization than more so than specifically to the technology. We felt we had a pretty good foothold there already with um, the prototype to, to the CDM program that we operate there called iPost. Uh, and so over the, the couple of years since that happened, more and more emphasis is being placed on the business aspects of cybersecurity and rationalizing agency approaches to what we're doing. And it couldn't be more important than now as we look to modernize our technology and the risk we have to take by leaning forward into new modernized ways of doing business. Right, I mean, you're, 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 it's interesting because you're lowering your, your, your posture in regards to risk by going into this modern environment, but you're also opening up your attack surface in some ways that you know sort of creates a another set of risks. So balancing those and really examining that properly is is super important. Uh, Jose, how about at Citrix? I would imagine that uh, once again the the agencies are really leaning on this type of technology as they start to go into these mobile environments and extend their boundaries in respect to uh, you know, uh, their computing capability, and where does Citrix fit into that? Yeah, so, and, and what's really interesting, and I'm, and I'm glad we had some, some really good points on, on the panel today, is so when we talk about modernizing security, the approach that we're talking about is traditionally people would create their application and service and bolt security on in front, right? And what happened is when someone got around that perimeter security, bad things can happen to those application services on the other side. And what we're seeing is the government modernizing and understanding that a, a security has to be built in throughout the application and service that's delivered down from the start, right? So Shane raised some good points on the, the, the you know, CI and CD and building in security as you're building in the applications that you do. That's the approach that we think and we help our uh, government agencies work with, with with Citrix. So with Citrix, we think security is a fundamental element there. We can help agencies deliver that. And what's really important is that we can help extend that perimeter to where the user is, wherever they happen to be, because that's the reality of today. Users aren't sitting in an office under the desk uh, on you know, a traditional PC. They're everywhere around the Beltway, around the country, around the world, in the, in the case of the Department of State. And we need to make sure that we have an intelligent perimeter that follows that user where they are, and we're able to get that policy down to where, wherever they happen to be. And you're starting to see where, look, a lot of these agencies, the majority of them here, uh, have a very mobile workforce, right? And that device that they're being given is becoming more and more intelligent, more and more capable, which means there's a lot more vulnerabilities there and a lot more opportunities from a, a attack surface perspective and also from a, a, a you know, a work capability perspective. Um, Shane, let's talk about um, priorities. You know, you got a lot of focus in a lot of different areas. You've rolled out CDM one and two. You guys are, are very aggressive in the cloud. 
uh, yeah, a lot of different pieces and parts that you got to think about. What are the priorities for you right now in regards to your cyber program? Um, first and foremost for USCIS especially is the e-processing uh, initiative that we've kicked off. We have, we're under a mandate essentially to, to go paperless for all things immigration uh, by the end of 2020. Um, for those who understand how paper heavy the immigration process is now, um, you'll also understand the challenges involved in doing so. Uh, you know, we issue, I don't know, I think it's about six million immigration benefits per year, um, most of which are, there's a lot of paper involved in doing so. So to take that and move that into a paperless type of environment within the next two years, some significant challenges with that. Um, it, it is doable. The plan that they've developed is, is excellent, um, very attainable, uh, cost effective. It, it meets all those good parameters. But security obviously is going to have to play a critical role in this because maintaining that data is, our, is the responsibility of USCIS um, and it's something we take very, very seriously. So plugging our security into that is going to be number one for us. Um, if I were to start listing off number twos, number threes, you know, outside of e-processing, which is consuming, which is basically going to consume our lives, but in, in a good way. Um, but I also, then we'd be looking at things at better cloud security. Um, you know, cloud, cloud is, is new for the government. There's not tons of policy on it yet. So we really have to kind of create things as we go. We've actually had to go out and start developing our own cloud monitoring tools. Those are things we want to continue expanding upon. Um, we've learned a lot in the, in the last few years that we've been in the cloud, um, both good and bad. So we want to take a lot of those, uh, those, those lessons learned sort of things and begin applying them forward um, as, we, as we begin even spending more and more processing priority one, two, and three, it sounds like. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, then four after that, we'll get sure. to more things. Uh, Tristan, how about at Flexair? What do you see as far as, as you're working with the various agencies, as far as sort of the priority that's jumping up as sort of number one? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt, cybersecurity, that goes without saying. And so it really is um, getting to the next stage with CDM, but that's not the panacea. They also need to take a look at other solutions to plug the holes uh, within their cybersecurity gaps. And so we really see the focus on um, them trying to get their arms around what they do have, what they know they have, and what they think they have, and getting down to the core truth so that they can defend it. Um, and it would, I would imagine that... Uh, uh, you know, having that sophisticated instrumentation is going to be very important so that they, once again, can make those real fine-grained decisions timely in regards to, uh, you know, where they're going to put their money and as far as budget and those sort of things. Uh, Pete, how about at State Department? Give us your, your number one cybersecurity priority for you. Wow, that's a number one. That's yeah. a tough call, right? Because there's a, there's a whole portfolio of things uh, that we're interested in. But I, I think... Um, for us, we're, we're shifting the landscape from a heavy focus on perimeter to a heavy focus on data and identity management. Because as we look at things where we're in a, a geography agnostic environment like the cloud, um, it's less for us to protect that particular environment because obviously we're working with providers that will be doing that. But we have to be very smart and sure of where our information is going, who's using it, and, and the people that have access to it as we look at this very broadly collaborative environment where we're looking at not just talking with each other but talking with our constituency, talking with uh, uh, particip I'm sorry, citizens of other nations, Things like that really place an emphasis on what you're putting out there in the cloud, how you're sharing that, and how you're keeping track of who's going and coming into those right, data environments. security exactly. and identity management really comes into play. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and federalnewsradio.com.
Flexera Solutions supports a realistic implementation of software supply chain best practices that improve cybersecurity, reduce costs, and give federal agencies greater visibility of their software inventory. Normalize, clean, and aggregate data from multiple discovery tools while gaining access to the world's largest and most comprehensive repository of enterprise software and hardware. Improve transparency in your supply chain by visiting Flexera at flexera.com. How large is your agency? How many mobile workers are you supporting? How many data centers are you consolidating? How many apps are you managing? How many application delivery controllers allow you to securely customize your app delivery for any mission need over any network anywhere in the world? Netscaler from Citrix, the world's most advanced application delivery controller that's proven to be better, cheaper, and faster than F5. How can federal agencies fortify enterprise security? By relying on a trusted partner like Fortinet Federal. Simplify cybersecurity complexity. Eliminate single-purpose applications. Break the cycle of purchase, atrophy, and purchase again. Take control from the data center to the cloud with Fortinet's integrated, future-ready protection approach and keep your agency assets safe. Learn more at FortinetFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Juana Jones-Heath, CISO, U.S. Air Force, Gary Stevens, Veterans Affairs, Sean Barney, USCIS, Department of Homeland Security, Pete Goldman, Department of State, James Harrison, Fortinet, Tristan Yancey, Flexera, and Jose Payton with Citrix Public Sector. Uh, when we came out of the break or came into the break, we were talking about priorities. James, let's talk about priorities that you're seeing across the different agencies that you're working with over there at Fortinet. Sure. I think our effort is going to be uh, an evangelist for transformation. Uh, there's uh, some large contract vehicles out there. You know, GSA EIS comes to mind and creates a great opportunity to, to transform, a big one. And so, you know, we're encouraging the, the federal space to do anything as simple as uh, just basic refresh of some old gear that's been sitting around for a while to, you know, maybe considering adding an additional layer of cyber, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, enforcing maybe some more at the secure email gateway or adding some sandboxing capability, um, or even considering the new architectures that are out there, you know, zero trust networks around, also secure SD-WAN. So we will encourage customers to consider an MPLS sort of hybrid with a secure SD-WAN. We think we can make that happen for customers. Go slow, fail often, and, and recover from there. So really an evangelist for transformation. Yeah, once again, that modernizing environment in this sort of world, right? When you look at software-defined networks, you really get a lot of capability from a modernization standpoint. You get a lot of security, too, in that kind of uh, using that type of technology. Gary, how about at Veterans Affairs? Tell us about sort of what's the, sort of the top-line focus for you right now in regards. Sure to uh, security. Well, I mentioned a little bit about the platform that we had erected through the uh, Enterprise Cybersecurity Program. And what that really gives us is, again, a holistic, comprehensive view of our enterprise cybersecurity capabilities and leverages governance and leadership at each various level so that we can ensure that the right information is fed to the right individual at the right time regarding our cyber capabilities. And then also, they can, they're well positioned to make decisions of relevance so that we can uh, act on those decisions to improve our overall state. And that's all oriented towards the CSF categories and subcategories so we can gauge our maturity level. But what does that really do? It allows us to make decisions that um, uh, oriented towards what do we need to do to holistically, again, 
address the, the requirements, cybersecurity requirements and our capabilities. Uh, married up with the fact that we, have, we benefit from VHA, VBA and NCA being a predominant driver in bringing capabilities to the veteran through mobile, digital, etc. VA, or the OIT organization is beginning to, or has evolved itself to become an enabler of those capabilities. And that's really what we're bringing forward, is the ability to get, ensure that those capabilities that we need to bring to the veteran are brought forward in a manner that's secure and safe so that the veteran's data is protected, but that we have holistic visibility into how we're bringing those forward. Yeah, that delicate balance of using security to protect the environment, but also using security to enable the environment, Absolutely. so to speak, right? I mean, very important, uh, delicate balance there. And with uh, the new tools and techniques, uh, you know, sometimes it gets better, sometimes it gets a lot more complex. Sure. Jose, how about at Citrix? Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in regards to the priorities that the agencies are pursuing. So, you know, the, the, you know, when it comes to priority, cloud is a huge priority. Cybersecurity is also part of that. And, you know, the great, the great um, piece that we're in from Citrix is that we get to see a lot of different areas of evolution throughout the different agencies. So what we think we can help, again, is to make sure that people think about cybersecurity all the way through as they're building these solutions. And um, when it comes to being able to get the data and the analytics that are needed to take action, that's a huge piece to cybersecurity. Because when, when you're able to see what's going on from an endpoint, a network, the infrastructure, and you're able to, to create a cybersecurity baseline of what normal is, you can now see the difference in, that, in those analytics to what is an event, right? Because without a baseline and understanding what's going on within that agency, you, everything just becomes alert fatigue. You just you, you find out there's a cybersecurity event, 1,500 an hour. Well, is this something that I need to action on? Is this something that I need to do? We can help those agencies create that cybersecurity baseline, understand what, what good behavior is, and then focus on those deltas from that to make sure that we can automatically respond to, to an event. So that's a, a huge priority that we see across the, the agencies and something that, that we think that we can help agencies with. Very important. We, we, we hear about this information overload. You've got a lot of good instrumentation out there. You need to find that sort of needle in the haystack and be able to focus your attention. I would imagine there's a lot of needles in a lot of haystacks at the Air Force One. So tell us a little bit about sort of what is your sort of major focus in regards to your cyber program in respect to priority these days? Okay, falling in line with some of the panel members, we are definitely looking at accelerating to the cloud, um, not moving as fast as we want to. Um, we have a lot of legacy systems that we're working with to ensure that we at least have the proper cyber, cyber hygiene. Uh, the DOD, of course, has this defense and dev strategy for uh, protection measures. Um, we've invested significant amount of money um, over the last couple of years in our endpoint. So now we're swinging, um, similarly to some of the comments, of looking inward more data protection um, tools and things like that um, to the Working system level. Your Windows 10 migration and Absolutely, those sort of things, down to right? the system yeah. level. Mm -hmm. um, my major priorities right now, of course, is supply chain risk management. Um, it's starting to be something that's uh, becoming an issue both internally um, and looking at our clear defense contractors. And so we're trying to put together a program that is most and that we um, have a comprehensive approach to how we look at the products that we're purchasing, know where they're coming from, 
have the cybersecurity integrity on the DIB side so that we can look at that total picture of knowing what's coming through um, as well. We don't want to open up any other gaps um, that we already have a lot of those that we're trying to contend with. So having a comprehensive supply chain risk management uh, program is something that I'm going to focus on on next year. Um, absent that, um, the risk executive function. What we're trying to do now is bring those business systems, those weapon systems, and all those functional um, entities into one body to where there's a cyber decision. If something comes out of our supply chain risk management outside, if something comes out of our risk management side, then we're able to have that conversation to where either we make a decision to remove and replace or we make a decision to do some investment. So from end to end, um, we have a lot of challenges, but the two things I'm really focusing on is supply chain risk management and risk management. Right, and really uh, tightening up your governance to make those good, crisp decisions and make them quickly. Uh, Gary, uh, we, we like to talk about lessons learned, and I'm sure there's plenty of those uh, sure. across the community. And I'd like you to highlight, you know, for you know, something you could share with our community in regards to the lessons you're learning as you're going on this journey to sort of harden this very complex environment that you're in. Well, I'd say that um, one of the most uh, critical things is it takes a team both uh, functional experts at that work, the systems on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as executive leadership. And the ability to meld all of that information together, I think is, is crucial to the effectiveness of a particular initiative that you're trying to, to uh, create. And that's exactly what we've tried to do at the VA, is bring forward all that information in a common way so that we can engage in that conversation. Everybody is um, authorized, if you will, to, to, to have those conversations, bring forward issues, and talk about threats and risks and, and concerns. And then we bring that forward to the leadership for, uh, in a cohesive way to understand what we need to do holistically. But it's also, I'd say, don't be afraid to try new things. We've done a lot of different pilots in various capabilities to address the medical device issue that we have, as well as um, a litany of other things. We're also involved in a lot of things re regarding uh, digital transformation, where we're trying to bring forward um, a migration where there's one common uh, portal, if you will, for the veteran to use to get access to all the veteran services. So, you know, don't be afraid, if you will, and then start small. Sometimes you don't always have to boil the ocean. Sure, um, sure. You know, it's the small things and the tweaks that uh, you do across to identify to address those gaps and seams in what you have currently that uh, really bring more uh, uh, benefit to the organization than trying to redesign an entire process with one particular tool because nothing is necessarily sure, a panacea. Start small and build upon it, right? Absolutely. Uh, James, how about at Fortinet? You're seeing a lot of, uh, of, of, of activity going across various customers and agencies. Uh, what do you see in regards to lessons learned that uh, you'd like to share with the audience? Some sure, I'd sage advice for the community. Sure, borrow an adage from uh, zero trust networking: never trust, always verify. So, I bet everybody at this panel has read a spec sheet or talked to a colleague about a implementation that they've done that sounds similar and we run off expecting the same result. Um, you know, often you know, you'll look in a magic quadrant, you'll pick a best of breed and then you'll pick another best of breed and you assume that two best of breeds together integrated equals a best of breed. Not necessarily the case, right? right. So um, I, I think testing is very important, uh, both uh, functional uh, and performance-based testing. Um, and I would encourage you know, uh, the, the government uh, members of the panel here maybe to consider 
you know, proof of concept POs to, to really test. It's, it's difficult to find uh, the right environment to test fully, uh, you know, th like full performance testing. You know, there's labs at the government that have uh, very small bandwidth and it's, it kind of limits your real ability to test a solution. So my lesson learned in best practice is figure out how to test thoroughly before you go to implement. Right. Uh, you know, best of breed, one plus one doesn't always equal two, right? Sometimes it could be minus one. Uh, Shane, uh, how about at uh, USCIS? You're really, uh, your agency is very aggressive in regards to pursuing the cloud. I'm sure you plowed a lot of paths, learned a lot of lessons there. Would you like to share any of those with the, the audience? Ones. Yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the most, there's two, there's two things I want to mention here. Uh, the first would be really strengthen and, and, and overemphasize your continuous monitoring program. In other words, your ongoing authorization. Um, part of our success has been our ability to, to meet the demands of the development side. You know, we have major applications that are releasing code in some cases two and three times a day. Um, to, in order to ensure your risk posture and the risk of those systems is maintained, your ongoing authorization program has to mirror that. Um, this, of course, requires you to embed your ISOs right in with the development teams. Um, ISOs, you know, the, the traditional sort of ISO approach and the, and the job description that we've used, I'm pretty sure was used by George Washington, um, is very old, very outdated, hasn't been updated in a million years. So one of the things we've started, one of the things we just have done now is we're diversifying our ISO portfolio. We're actually targeting people who have cloud-based experience to be ISOs. We're actually targeting people who are former developers or developers to be ISOs. We're, we're, we're focusing on people who have infrastructure uh, experience so they can be infrastructure, so they can oversee our infrastructure as an ISO because they become my eyes and ears and they become a critical piece to the overall program because they're the, who, they're the ones who alert us. If, if the idea is that we're testing early and failing early, you know, we find those things through the ISOs. Um, they're the ones who are going to bring it up to our attention. They're the ones who are going to ensure that we're aware of those problems before they become a problem. Yeah, and I'm sure they, yeah, they play a big role in this DevSecOps kind of yeah, uh, environment there. Entire right? environment. Without them, without the team, and, and to that, my, my forewarning to anybody who's going down that road is understand that the number of vistas you have today is inadequate. Whatever that number is, it's inadequate. Sure. Because you're going to have to expand your ISO force considerably to meet that demand as the environments get much more complex. Jose, what are you seeing out there in regards to uh, lessons learned as you work across the entire community uh, that you'd like to uh, share with the uh, community in respect to what Citrix is seeing and as far as this agency's pursuing their risk posture? So, so I think, you know, I think Gary actually brought up a, a great point, right? And this is something that we see very common. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we talk to agencies, you know, especially, you know, for example, the VA, huge agency, every single state coverage, there's hundreds of thousands of employees uh, around the country and in, in, in some locations other uh, off of CONUS. Um, so when we try to scope something and we try to scope something to cover all of that, it's very difficult to do that in the front. So starting small, taking a look at what is the effective area that we're going to help the mission of the agency with and a focus on that in a startup mentality. Work cybersecurity into that at the beginning, right? So as Shane had, to, you know, to have cybersecurity built into those applications and make sure that we're thinking about that from the ground up, right? And then fail quickly. 
So that's that's really key, and the government traditionally is not great at that, right? So tr the government traditionally will look at these large programs, will look to do something across the entire agency or multiple agencies, and try to do that right on day one, right? That's not that's not a reality of the situation, especially today, where security is changing. Security of today will be different tomorrow, and security of tomorrow will be different the day after that. It's a very dynamic, high-paced environment, and we need to comprehend that as we build these solutions. Yeah, security is changing and the environment you're trying to secure is changing considerably. So, uh, Wanda, tell us about at the, uh, the U.S. Air Force in regards to sort of what you're discovering in respect to the lessons that you're learning as you roll onto this journey. Uh, one of the things that I uh, quickly realized is um, it's hard to keep up. Um, the adversary is moving at uh, cyber warp speed, and uh, we, the government, sometimes can't move as fast mm -hmm. as we need to. So we have to be able to think differently, um, make innovation part of the process, do things uh, fast and quick. Um, one of the things my boss always says, fail fast. Tell me if it works. If it works, then let's move out quickly. Um, uh, put your money where your mouth is. Um, bring those um, uh, solutions to the to the table quick, um, not a one size fit all, um, and we just have to you know uh, cybersecurity is a team sport um, from the airmen all the way up to our, our most senior leadership, and so having that consistent uh, message of we have to do something and we have to do it quick and it has to be different. Yeah, I mean you know every uh, every uh, marine is a is a rifleman and. Uh, you know, uh, every one of us is a cyber warrior in some regard uh, in, in that respect, right? We all have a responsibility there. Um, <clears throat> Pete, how about over at the State Department uh, in regards to uh, what you're seeing in respect to lessons learned there? There's a couple of themes that are resonating, and, and we've heard a few folks talking about the speed of things. And one of the things that we, we, we absolutely acknowledge is that security has to move at the pace of mission. Right. We have to be more agile and more capable in providing the protections or at least the ability to detect any harm that may occur much quicker than we would have been doing maybe 10 years ago. Uh, we're, we're exiting the static stage of security. We have to absolutely, absolutely be more agile. Along with that, uh, we've learned that there's some really interesting benefits you can gain from business resiliency. Uh, we have a couple of our internal processes that by design are multi-threaded. Uh, parallel activities with no one stream of that activity failing, causing a, a degradation of the outcome. Mm -hmm. And when you have that situation, you're in a position to be able to accept a lot more difficulty with your IT. Uh, if your IT is weak or you, you have to uh, uh, deal with some uh, potential problems that require you to take some time to deal with it, if you have a multi-threaded business process, you get that flexibility, you get that time to deal with it. So something um, I'm not sure that everyone uh, fully appreciates is we went into IT to accelerate and move faster with our missions, and we designed them around that concept. We did not design to fail. We designed to succeed. And by its nature, we need to think about what does happen when it fails. And, and we're not talking about the traditional contingency planning type situation. We're talking about a business process that even if it operates at a suboptimal level, still operates. And, and that business resiliency is something we're learning uh, has a major role in balancing that, that threat of harm that we see with this inherently weak IT that so we work primary with. Primary and tertiary type of capability. Yes. Yeah, Tristan, give us a number one lesson learned that you're seeing out there across these uh, 
departments, components, and agencies. I'd like to elaborate on a point that Ms. Jones-Heath made earlier regarding software supply chain. So it is completely dysfunctional between buyers and sellers today, um, which introduces risks into the environment. You really need to take a look at the totality of the software supply chain, how it's bought, how it's sold, how it's managed and secured. Flexera provides that uh, transparency into the process so that people can understand the software supply chain and uh, protect it as needed. And I would imagine that once you get very complex into the d defense industrial base, et cetera, this just gets much more sophisticated. And once again, having uh, good sophisticated tools uh, to make those, those wise choices and balance it with uh, risk is super important. <clears throat> uh, well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. Uh, listening, you're, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Flexera Solutions supports a realistic implementation of software supply chain best practices that improve cybersecurity, reduce costs, and give federal agencies greater visibility of their software inventory. Normalize, clean, and aggregate data from multiple discovery tools while gaining access to the world's largest and most comprehensive repository of enterprise software and hardware. Improve transparency in your supply chain by visiting Flexera at flexera.com. How large is your agency? How many mobile workers are you supporting? How many data centers are you consolidating? How many apps are you managing? How many application delivery controllers allow you to securely customize your app delivery for any mission need over any network anywhere in the world? Netscaler from Citrix, the world's most advanced application delivery controller that's proven to be better, cheaper, and faster than F5. How can federal agencies fortify enterprise security? By relying on a trusted partner like Fortinet Federal. Simplify cybersecurity complexity. Eliminate single-purpose applications. Break the cycle of purchase, atrophy, and purchase again. Take control from the data center to the cloud with Fortinet's integrated, future-ready protection approach. And keep your agency assets safe. Learn more at FortinetFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Wanda Heath, U.S. Air Force, Gary Stevens, Veterans Affairs, Shane Barney, USCIS, Department of Homeland Security, Pete Goldman, Department of State, James Harrison, Fortinet, Tristan Yancey, Flexera, and Jose Padden, Citrix Public Sector. We're talking about cybersecurity, and we're going to start talking about um, challenges and the challenges that we're having in this environment as we look to uh, secure it and harden it. Uh, Gary, let's ask uh, you at Veterans Affairs, you know, what, what's sort of your number one challenge that you sort of see out there that you're either currently having or anticipating? Well, I'd say that uh, one of the uh, pivotal things that we're working today is to bring the right data to the right person at the right level. So that visibility across the entire cybersecurity uh, program. Um, and uh, so lots of initiatives underway to, to do precisely that, to, again, look across all the data that we that we collect, and we collect a lot of data from a lot of different tools. They're of minimal use if we can't array them in a way that makes sense at the appropriate level for the leadership to make decisions. 
So there's a massive effort underway to do precisely that. But I'd also say that some of the other efforts that we're working is to ensure that the workforce has the right skills to do the right job. So there's a massive effort underway to also uh, improve our cybersecurity workforce, again, get training, um, help them understand their roles and functions better, and ensure that they understand that they are a pivotal member of the cybersecurity program. Sure. It takes everyone working in the IT space to address the cybersecurity threat. Uh, Wanda, how about you over at uh, um, Air Force? Uh, you've got a lot of challenges there that I'm, I'm sure you're either currently having or anticipating. Uh, can you highlight a couple of those? Yes, um, same with um, other panel members. Um, cyber skill workforce. Um, I talked about it as a team sport, um, and we target mostly folks outside of our IT community. We do a wonderful job in training our IT folks. It's the other folks that we really need to make sure they understand their role um, in IT and being able to help us um, secure it. Another area is is more than just IT. We have our uh, challenges with um, ICS SCADA. Um, we've not done a good job in um, understanding how they're connected, where they're connected, and some of the challenges and gaps that they open up, along with our weapon systems and aircraft. Um, they're very complex, but we have to make sure that we are also protecting those data streams that they use to uh, shoot the bombs and, and get on target. So those are the areas that we're going to focus on as well. Yeah, there's uh, you know that whole sort of critical infrastructure that wraps around uh, the warfighter and all the apparatus there and all the embedded systems, I'm sure become extremely uh, um, sophisticated and very challenging to make sure those things stay secure. Absolutely. Sean, how about over at uh, USCIS? Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, the, the uh, challenges that you guys are seeing over so there. So it's kind of a surprise workforce. Um, the, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, I, I've, you know, there's, I've been inv heavily involved with DHS's efforts on workforce and, and the cyber workforce in particular, and Title VI, and some of the other initiatives that are underway. And, and there is this focus on, you know, hiring and recruiting and training. And, you know, the reality is, is I, I can hire people really, really quite well. And I can do it very quickly if I need to. That's not been a big problem for us. Um, training, training's not a problem. I can get people trained like there's no tomorrow. They have lots of money available for this. So getting them certified in various, you know, various applications and in various, uh, some of the industry certs that are available, not a problem. That's really well supported. Really, my issue becomes is after I've, I've hired these great individuals who are educated, smart, talented, I've given them all these great certs and given them three to five years of experience, then my good friends in the public sector come, or the private sector come walking along and go, oh wow, these guys are really great. They're trained, sure. they're certified. Mm -hmm. um, we ought to hire them and we're gonna pay them $100,000 more than the government can even hope to do so. So, and, and this is a really big problem. Um, it, is the, it is the one thing that I, I'm not sure we have a good solution for yet, but if we are going to continue this good fight in the cybersecurity war, um, you're going to need to figure out a solution for that. That's got to be handled. Um, we can't keep, not, not that I don't want to provide the industry really talented, trained individuals, I just would prefer them to come from the Department of State. Sure. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, it, it, it is a legitimate concern. And, and unfortunately, challenge. you know, that the pay gap is ever increasing. Um, cyber is becoming such a hot topic that the industry is willing to pay, you know, open up their piggy banks to pay for it. And the government's very stuck in its kind of 1970s approach to, to how we pay people. Sure. Um, and, it, and it is. It's going to create even 
some bigger gaps. So I think going in, going one of our biggest problems currently, and, and we'll continue to face until it's addressed, is that workforce uh, that workforce gap. Pete, how about that Department of State? Uh, what kind of a challenge do you guys have there? Well, first, I guess it's keeping staff on board because uh, DHS wants us to let them go. But yeah. uh, no, just kidding. Um, you know there's always this coaching that goes on. Sure. Um, I, I think our, our biggest challenge is not a new one. It's security by design. Uh, and, and when I talk about that, I, I spoke earlier about the agility necessary in security so we can map the pace of, of the business needs. Uh, and, and that's been an ongoing struggle. As long as there are new solutions to problems for the mission requirements, people are going to want to implement them as quickly as they can get them paid for and acquired. And uh, oftentimes that's where we start thinking about, oh, well, is, is this secure? Are we going to handle this data the right way? And we really need a fundamental understanding that these three basic requirements of security, the ability to keep information out of the hands of people that shouldn't see it, not let it be changed without your knowledge and having it available to you and need it, the fundamental aspects of security are the fundamental aspects that support mission success. And they need to be integrated in that way so that we can do a better job of aligning to those requirements from the outset. And, and in that regard, uh, the CISO at the State Department and I talk often about moving the security problem to the left. And the idea here is in a project management activity, the more things you do up front, the easier things get down the road. And Absolutely. so we're looking at security in the acquisition cycle, we're looking at the investment process, we're looking at the project management process sure. early rather than later. And I think that's um, probably one of our most difficult challenges because it's changing culture. Sure. All right, we've got about 10 and a half minutes left. We're gonna go to our vision question, give us a short and sweet in regards to what do you see in respect to the vision of what it looks like over the horizon in a foreseeable future. Jose, we'll start with you at Citrix. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the vision is that this is gonna continue to be even faster pace and gonna change at a faster pace. So the, the bad actors that are, that are on the other side of the cybersecurity threat, they're not beholden to FedRAMP. They're not beholden to FISMA. They're not beholden to different compliance standards. They can do what they need to do any minute in order to try to, to try to make something happen. So from a flexibility and from a, a building security in from the ground up, that, that is the vision that I hope that the government embraces and, and based on the panel today, it sounds like that's happening in the agencies and what we see as we go around the beltway that that's happening in the agencies. And then to have the, the uh, knowledge to know that an event will happen. It's not a matter of if an event, event will happen, an event will happen. So how do I prepare my agency? How do I prepare to be able to take autonomous action, right? That's something that, that we can help with. And how do we, uh, how are we able to, to get the, the quality analytics that we need in order to understand the cybersecurity events and take the, the corrective action going sure. forward? Pete, how about uh, at state? What does it look like in the I, future? I think the agility is, is our friend. I think this constant churn and change actually gives us a little bit of a moving target situation, which is beneficial to us in some ways, but it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think that we're going to see a continued struggle with security because uh, when I talk about moving it to the left, it's not happening effectively enough at the development and design of these commercial products and, and software uh, applications that we're getting. So we are forced into this sort of middle of the road trying to resolve that. Um, until um, there's a tipping point here where we figure out how to, and I don't think it's a lack of desire, but how to deliver products that we can work with that are mostly ready to go secure out of the box, 
um, that isn't viewed as a means of inhibiting or in some way constraining mission or business activity. Sure, sure. Until we get there, I think we're going to be caught in the cycle of, of trying to keep up with where are the weaknesses, how can we manage yep. that, and to your point, be ready to detect and, re and uh, resolve them when we Absolutely. identify it. Absolutely. Never-ending uh, uh, complexity. Uh, Tristan, how about at Flexair? What, 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 uh, what does the future look like? I see the partnership between industry and government continuing down a very positive path, making it more challenging for hackers. I believe that it will um, make it more difficult for them to penetrate systems and elongate the, the time frames, which is great for detection purposes. We won't eradicate the attacks, but we will definitely um, make sure that few of them are successful, less of them are successful won't completely eradicate it, but uh, you know, we'll minimize. we'll minimize it and get it under control. Correct. Gary, how about at Veterans Affairs? What, what are you seeing as far as what the, uh, the future holds there? Well, I, I would agree with everybody at the table that basically says that we need to be agile because the threat is constantly evolving and we're always, to a certain extent, trying to play catch up a little bit. But I think the last thing in the world we want to do is to chase capabilities and not do it in an orchestrated way. So I think the vision for the VA is to ensure that we sp leverage our capabilities through the, the integrated program uh, so that we address threats and capabilities in an orchestrated and organized way, not chase nouveau capabilities just because they, they look, they're the shiny new toy. Sure. Do it in a managed approach because we've got a lot of very smart people that are doing uh, highly effective jobs at the right levels. And what we want to do is make sure that they are well positioned with the right tools to do, the, to do what they need to do in a more effective way based upon what the threat is telling us. So we're bringing forward, um, again, through our program, the ability to understand what is the current um, risk issue at the, at, the, at, the, at the mission or at the system level, combined with bringing that into a maturity level uh, based on the CSF categories, and then we're also integrating the, the threat perspective that uh, Gov, um, uh, Dodcar brings forward, sure. uh, so that we have all of that information integrated in a holistic way to make decisions. Really I think that's really the vision. Looking at it in a real systematic type way. Absolutely. Uh, James, how about at Fortinet? Mm -hmm. What do you see there as far as, as you guys are sort of painting the, the future, well, what does it look like from Fortinet's yeah, perspective? I'd expect more of the uh, multi-vendor integrated security fabric kind of thing to continue. Um, the incorporation of artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to just kind of automate that cybersecurity infrastructure that, that the customers are using today. Uh, you know, you'd see new types of attacks coming. Uh, we mentioned in the VA healthcare, right, we're actually putting Wi-Fi-enabled devices in our bodies these days, right? So human malware is a concern. Um, autonomous vehicles bring up cyber jacking as a concern. We have an airline from two, three years ago that disappeared and never been resolved, right? So what, what is, was that a cyber jacking instance? But overall, I think um, your identity and reputation on the internet are going to have to become more transparent. I don't know if anonymity is going to fly long term. It, it just creates too much opportunity for, for bad things to happen. Um, I also think maybe a little bit of divine intervention uh, to move the moral compass of some of our cyber hackers would be great. Um, more of a hope than a vision there. Um, but in the policy and regulation around the internet too, I would expect some of that as well. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, as we get uh, more sophisticated in these autonomous type environments, 
you know, that, 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 you know, security posture positioning is going to be super important, and particularly when we get into identity management, et cetera, yes. in this respect as well. Uh, Shane, how about at uh, CIS? What do you see as far as the, uh, uh, the future? Sort of paint that picture for us. Um, well, you know, we are, I would consider ourselves a very agile security shop at this point, and, and I see the benefits we've reaped from that, that, that integration levels and, and, and those things. So I, I expect that to continue. I expect that sort of security becoming more of the norm in the background as well as in the forefront. I, I, I see the blurring of those lines at all levels. And, and we've already seen that on, on a number of fronts, so, so I, can, I imagine that will continue with, uh, with no issues. Um, you know, so long as we can address our workforce issues, I think uh, the, the further integration with public-private sector and, and the benefits that we've reaped from there, we've done some of those, those partnerships already, and they've been very, very successful for us. Um, I think it's a, it's a good, you know, cybersecurity war is something that's applicable across not just the government space. It applies to the industry as well, so there's a lot of benefit to be reaped there. Um, and, and I think the final thing going forward um, is really a high focus on data security. We've heard it mentioned on numerous occasions here. I, I think data security, you know, USCIS collects, like most agencies, a tremendous amount of data. Um, ensuring that data security and really focusing it on it, as in, in, they talk about security architecture, but also data architecture and the security thereof, and really building that into our processes and ensuring that the right plate, the data is being used in the right way by the right people at the right times. Um, I, I think it's critical to, to the future, and I really see that as a major emphasis. Yeah, and I would imagine that. You know, look, at, at the end of the day, you know, that's what the uh, uh, the bad actors are after, right? They're after the data. And uh, so, you know, actually being able to secure the data, you know, at rest, you know, in transit, where it's at, you know, wherever it's at, uh, on a mobile device, et cetera, becomes really important. And that identity management issue becomes really key as well, right, in regards to uh, understanding who that individual is and, 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 you know, what they're doing in respect to the data, right? Correct. Um, Wanda, how about at the uh, the Air Force? You know, you've got uh, 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 a complex environment out there. You've got a roadmap in regards to uh, Air Force of the future. Uh, what does the vision look like in regards to how you're going to secure that? So for the Air Force, I see the CISO as the center of gravity. Um, we have to continue to be the advocate. Can we quote to, you on that? Oh, CISO absolutely. CISO is the center of gravity. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, we're the ones who have to advocate and ensure that from a strategic communications approach that everyone understands. It's not, a, it's not about the IT community. It's also partnerships across the federal agencies. Uh, partners with industry, our de defense industrial base is very important to what we do. When they have an incident, um, we have to be concerned because they are developing um, our capability that we can um, ensure that we're able to do the mission. Um, some of the other things from a vision standpoint, I see that we have to be able to move everything forward. Um, investments um, have to be about risk. You know, what are you willing to give up um, for capability in order to protect the data you need to. Um, some of the other things is predictive behavior. Um, we have a baseline. When there's an anomaly, we should be able to respond and respond quickly to be able to close those gaps. So from an Air Force perspective, long way to go, but we sure don't look like we did before. Right, and uh, you know, look, this, this is a journey for all of us, and I think that the, uh, this whole aspect of risk 
and really understanding what that is. And look, we only have a, a finite amount of uh, a funding available, and we have to balance that in regards to what's the impact uh, from a business perspective, what's the impact from a, a, a cyber uh, perspective uh, when we're making those various uh, investments. And I, I love the fact that uh, the CIOs and the CISOs are now at the table and being able to make those great trade-offs. Uh, well, we could certainly talk all day about this, and I really do appreciate uh, everyone's time and energy here. Uh, I'd like to thank today's guests and taking their time from their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsor for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety on demand at federalnewsradio.com.